0: Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. G'day scholars and welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast episode 41. I am this week's host, Dom Philp, on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you free of charge every single week on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And the best way that you can support is to rate, review, subscribe. Hey, maybe you found us over there on Twitter. There seems to be like 9 million followers over there with the Ross Boss Casey right on the show. Well, maybe you could tweet this out if you like what you're hearing. A positive slant on wrestling we've been called this week. Hey, maybe you found us on Instagram. There's about three followers over there. But if you're one of those three and you enjoy the memes, why don't you add this to your Instagram story? Otherwise, ring your mum, write a letter to your nan, or get your family together and act this out as a play on your balcony like Shakespearean times. Uh, I think that's about it from me, so I guess i better introduce our special guest for this week. Of course, we've got Ross the Boss, Casey. How are you, Roscoe? Very well, mate. Very excited for transfer deadline day. Mate, how good are Newcastle going? Anyway, that's another podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I'd also like to welcome regular guest, the con man, big laddie cool, Matt Connolly. How are you, Matt?
1: I'm all good, equally enthralled with the uh, deadline day antics, which is giving away which day we're recording this on,
2: I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Newcastle will have already lost three games after, like before this comes out probably. How, uh, how are Borum would on in the transfer window, Matt? <laughs> I wish I knew or cared. <laughs> <laughs> they are flying,
1: to be fair to them.
0: And saving the best for last, we actually do have a very, very special guest on the podcast this week. Bonkers. We have the former owner and promoter of Chaos Pro Wrestling from down there in, I think, southwest of Bristol, Ross said. The best place in the world anyway. uh, This is Mr. Dave Mercy. Welcome, Dave. How are you, mate?
3: Uh, I'm good, but I'm terrified for transfer deadline day because I don't want Bristol City to lose any of their good players.
0: I'm I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine I I can't name a single Bristol City player So yeah, you would be be, alright We're
3: getting off on a tremendous start here I can tell Okay
0: (laughs) Okay, let's dive straight into things this week So let's dive straight into our first segment here Over to the boss for the call-up sheet
2: Okay, so call-up sheet, episode number 41. First up, we've got Blade McGee, who says ain't nothing but a McGee thing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely outstanding. Uh anytime we hear the pronoun, the proper noun Blade in wrestling, surely it's gotta be to do with his absolute love of the Ric Flair's 80 crimson mask in every single match. I think it- he's <laughs> He's, he's known for the, you know, like Jay Briscoe in the cage at our best ring of honour against Samoa Joe. Just, you know, absolute crimson mask.
1: I was thinking more along the lines of uh, the vampire act of Blade. I was going to tag in with our party vampire that we've all agreed is a party vampire, Damien Priest. <laughs> oh, that's
0: amazing. Also, Triple H was in one of those Blade films, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. You know, solid... uh, That is solid Rotten Tomatoes areas there.
3: (laughs) You only no-sold an arrow to the eye, but then carried on running faster than a car. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously
2: not as good as his best film, The Chaperone. (laughs) Next up, we've got Danny Damage. He is going by the name of Blunt Damage. (laughs)
0: what you, I, I, I like the you know, this is not a wrestling gimmick but he's because he's already got a wrestling gimmick but I like the idea that that is just his complete real name you know he's filling out like his tax return middle name blunt
2: <laughs> I quite like the idea for blunt damage to be like the guy that you make on um smackdown games where he's got the amazing move set but you haven't been able to win matches and get the better kind of skill set. so he's got an amazing move set but all, but all of his Um, Moves have small damage, so he's got blunt damage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so he's just hitting like you know the old Jericho five power bombs into the Death Valley driver from No Mercy, (laughs) but it's just everyone's just kicking out at one.
1: (laughs) I was thinking the guy was just baked because it's blunt damage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he's a stoner that uh, his moves have no impact.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) think like uh, Matt Riddle crossed with Orange Cassidy.
3: I actually, we, we, I mean, us in the chaos guys, we came up with gimmicks that never came out, and one of those things has got on the same sort of lines was a wrestler we came up with called Izzy High, and he'd do the same <laughs> similar sort of stuff. But so, like, he'd have a choke stand <laughs> called High Times and all that. Yeah, we we should really stop booking when we were drunk, but yeah,
0: <laughs> that's what this show is, Dave. You you'll get used to it, mate.
3: <laughs>
2: Next up after the brilliant Izzy High, Jonathan Lozada. His dream is to be a wrestler. He is an, an edge maniac and he joined Twitter in 2019.
0: I just want to shout this guy out. He seems like a really nice guy. Uh, and, you know, all the best to you, fella, in your future career in the squared circle. I will say one thing, though. I think they're called edgeheads, right? If you're an edge fan, you're an edgehead. Is that right? There was a move they did for a while called the edge-matic. Is that Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, the edgeheads? Yeah, that sounds about Right. You think you know me? On this day I see clearly. Everything has come to light. Bitter place full of broken dreams. And I leave it all. Leave it all behind. Oh, good to see boys. Maybe that's what we could book um, Jonathan into. Maybe he could be the the third uh, major brother. <laughs> um, I think that might be a good way to start out in the industry. I mean, th- those guys—they just, you know, come off the come off the big win that uh, the world on GCW and the Hammerstein Boreham. So not a bad spot for you, Jonathan. And last but not least, we've got friend of the group who wants a new gimmick.
2: It's only TK Cooper. <laughs>
0: How many gimmicks does this guy need, TK Cooper?
1: <laughs> We're gonna say that he uh he's okay Cooper and he's just fine. <laughs> he's just all right. He like turns up, fills cards out, does his he, job. You've put him back. Yeah, he's not gonna escape the mid-card. He in been the mid-card. mid-card. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think we could have him be an okay cooper, but it's short for Oklahoma. And he... he <laughs> It's just like you remember in WCW when um, Ed Ferrara was pretending to be Jim Ross. I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> could, you, could you imagine TK like doing his Jim Ross impression on one of those you know special progress shows the nineties Attitude Era one? That would be unbelievable. Yeah. Just once again, uh, shout out to the master of the Swanton bomb, TK Cooper. It's great, great to hear that you're still listening, fella. Dave, did you have TK booked
3: at Chaos? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I think we, we definitely exchanged details before. I know he came. He's been to shows before, so I've met him. But uh, unfortunately not. And I think that's, I'm trying to remember, because I know that uh, by the time that we were sort of established, he left the country for a bit, came back, and we'd always book our cards so far in advance. It was always difficult once we established guys. So, and that's absolutely nothing against TK. I think he's great. I know he had a, from what you guys said uh, last week, he had an absolute stormer against uh, Sterling and, uh, and Riley. So, um, yeah, no, I think he's, I think he's great. So, um, no, unfortunately, never got a chance to book him.
0: And only getting better too. You know, Absolutely. Really, really getting into his prime, I, I would say, with my untrained eye, but yeah.
2: <laughs> so thanks, everyone, for the entries into the call-up sheet. We'll DM you and let you know your new characters later in the week. And uh, yeah, we'll see you for episode number 42 for the next batch.
0: I definitely should have booked TK with something to do with the New Zealand Warriors uh, rugby league team, Stacey Jones or something. Anyway, that's just for him. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Hey, uh, should we do some What the Nerds Are Watching? I've been watching you. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. A la 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 long. A la la long, 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 long. Hey. What are? Uh the nerds watching uh it's been a pretty busy weekend in pro wrestling i guess we'd better talk a little bit about the royal rumble but as we know wrestling should be fun we're going to try to keep things as positive as possible here and we try not to question the booking decisions of uh vincent kennedy mcmahon too much on our show so what high points did we have out of rumble weekend fellas shane mcmahon
1: here comes the money here we go money talks. Talk. here comes the money that was a high point are you being legit yeah i I actually was ready for that i I was i had a little pop for that one
0: i enjoyed it from a storyline perspective i was like having trouble figuring out why shane mcmahon like a middle-aged man would want to win the world title to have to wrestle roman reigns I, i i was really sort of i was like mate you're a billionaire what what is your motivation does he just love getting the shit kicked out of him is that his character maybe it is right
3: He's the best in the world, right? So,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is true. Some guys just have it. All to be fair.
3: So my rumble highlights.
2: I think someone who needs a shout out for her rumble showing is Maurice. I thought she was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I second that. I thought she was great.
1: That um, head scissors was perfect, wasn't yeah. it? I, yeah, I mean, I'll just be agreeing with you, Ross. To be honest, I agree. I, she, <laughs> she, like. I think everyone in that match, like it's such a boring thing to say, but they all just played their part brilliantly, right? Like Miz sold perfectly for when Beth went on offense. And like you say, Maurice was conniving and, and hit everything crisply. And then Edge came in and took it home. Like I thought it was just a brilliantly put together match. Like it didn't set my pulse alight, if that's even a saying. Set my pulse <laughs> racing is the same. <laughs> didn't oh, like, set, set my pulse gets, set my <laughs> alight.
0: I'll tell you what, it didn't get my match racing. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: how good it was. I even mixed up my metaphors. And, oh, but, mate. Yeah, no, uh, it was great.
0: And I I think, love him. So, sorry, sorry, go down. No, sorry, Dave, I was just going to say that I love mixed metaphors so much. <laughs>
3: um, but kind, kind of in line with what you're saying in terms of, it was a perfectly good, or I'd say it was a, is a really good intergender match, but the thing that, and in terms of not getting your, your match racing, or whatever you said, um, the... <laughs> The pacing of the show for me was 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 done really well because normally it's bookended with both Rumbles and you kind of expect know what you're going to expect and I hate using the phrase cooler match but the way that they used the intergender rumb- uh, match before the main Rumble even though it was a four hour show for me because it's the first WWE pay per view I've sat down and watched in ages it, it it flew by for me it felt like it went really quick considering the amount of obviously the Rumbles got so many people involved with it but it, it kept my attention the whole way through. For me, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was going in very cold, not knowing what to expect from it.
0: I think, like we we've spoken about that a lot in the past about WWE pay-per-views. Although you know, <laughs> maybe you don't sit back after it and say, "Wow, that was a standout, incredible match." You know, oh, what that's a match of the year. Well, I think we always say that, like when we do watch WWE, pay-per-views in particular, we never don't like them, right? Like, and this was another example for me. Dave, you put it pers- per- perfectly there for me and personably. Um, <laughs> the time flew by for me, you know, maybe because I'd been to the birthday party and I had a few had a few uh, lagers, but I just, I really enjoyed it. I'll tell you what I loved was Becky Lynch versus Viper. I'm not sure if it was as good as, ma- I haven't watched it since, like, I, and I, I was a little bit tipsy, but I really enjoyed it, and I was just, like, really getting behind Viper by the end, and I was like, oh, I hope this really shows that audience what a great worker she is. Yeah,
3: no, I, I, I love Piper. I've booked her before, she's great, a um, uh, dropper. she's known there, doll Drop. but um, the interesting dynamic with that is I'd really like to see that match again, but with more of a clear face-heel dynamic. And I think that was probably the one, the one match for me where the crowd would probably felt a bit tired. The match itself was great. They both worked really hard, not me talking the match down at all. I would love to see that match again, but maybe in a different position in the card where if you can build that up a bit more, you can put some more fire behind one of them as the face and then really build that up. Because I, I felt like that was the only downside for me in terms of that a hot crowd can make a good match great. And you're always going to get a tight crowd when you're going to go four hours. Unfortunately, one one match normally has to serve that purpose to try to act as the um, not the bookend, but you know that that comma between the sentence. And that's what I felt they they did with that match. And I think it was done on purpose. And it's no disrespect to them, but you can see that they're clearly invested in in what Viper's doing. And I'm just hoping they're going to use her even more. Yeah,
2: I massively I'm in the same point of view in terms of the Hill uh, faced them of that match. I find it so frustrating with Becky's booking that they actually book her really well as a heel. She does great heel work. They put up against popular face people with the likes of Bianca in the past and still the crowd still support Becky either 50-50 or even 70-30. And then she's in a situation here where she's up against a heel and I was like, I actually don't mind if the crowd are like entirely with Becky here. And weirdly, the crowd weren't. I was pretty surprised.
0: She's got to back that up with her work in the ring as well. But I mean, that's that's a whole thing about the psychology of wrestling that I'm probably getting a bit too deep for myself to really understand. But something when I when I still watch Becky and I, I'm like, oh, she to me she still kind of works like a babyface in the ring in the same way as I always had a problem with Randy Orton as a face because he always looks like he's working like a heel. Yeah, and I get what you,
3: I guess especially in this dynamic when you've got someone like Viper like who's who's going to be bigger and is going to be doing the power uh, dynamic in that match, Becky naturally has to take the role of, of almost the face because you're going to be in peril more if you've got a 50-50 match. So it's, it's an interesting one. But, you know, just going back to the crowd, thinking about it in terms of what, what you said earlier, Ross, about the fact that they didn't really go for Becky as a, as a heel. The crowd weren't that smart. I thought the crowd played along with everything and that was yeah. really nice to see you know speaking as a booker it's lovely to actually see you present look this is a heel this is a face or whatever it is you're doing and they just go with it there was very little smart smart chanting um, so um, I'm, I'm sure Vince uh, probably had a smile on his face for that at least yeah yeah definitely
0: anything else stand out on the card
2: for you Ross oh just that opening match was amazing I'm sure every single podcast will we'll just have the same take but to kick things off with the S.H.I.E.L.D. music and Seth, like, kind of postmodernly doing it with a smile on his face and a wink. Absolutely brilliant. And then for the match to be as good as it was, followed by Roman finally taking it out on Seth for the uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. breakup years and years ago in the exact same fashion. Loved the storytelling and I loved the uh, little bit of kind of, as he was about to, like, do it, he kind of, like, did that long breath. Which reminded me a bit of when I watched Kurt do that um track, Where'd you sleep last night on M T V Unplugged? That kind of like, I've been holding this in for years and I know that I've just I've just got to let it go. And I got that kind of vibe from that moment. And yeah, I just thought it was brilliant.
0: There's
1: a parallel you won't get on any other podcast. Kurt Cobain and Roman Reigns.
0: (laughs) I reckon Seth Rollins will enjoy that parallel a lot more than Roman Reigns would. (laughs) Yeah, that is excellent storytelling that you'll bring to that situation, Ross. Thank you. Anything else stand out in the week of wrestling uh, really, really quickly? I
1: have one more rumble note. One more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mate. Go on. Johnny Knoxville's cameo was great. Four runs the
2: Tokyo Dome. Four. Yeah. Have you seen all the memes online? So good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It
1: was well done, I thought. Good business. Better than Drew Carey, you reckon? Well, I mean, you know, you don't always want to compare to a great like Carey. So I don't know if I'd go that far. But uh... <laughs> yeah, no, it was. I thought it was really good. Like you say, that elbow he hit on AJ. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> he did drill him. I actually watched the show, a little bit of an insight into my Saturday night. I watched it on mute, because I also had my girlfriend in the room and my best pal, we were at a party beforehand. And then obviously, to say the least, they are not wrestling fans at all. So I put it on mute and we had music on and we're just chatting. So I'm not sure if the commentators put it over much in the Rumble match. I really enjoyed McIntyre and Lesnar at the end, like just watching. And I actually, you know, took the time to explain to uh, my girlfriend and pal. I'm like, oh, you know, McIntyre eliminated Lesnar a couple of years ago. It's a big story. So I'm sure they put that over really well, but I just enjoyed that little, little wrinkle too.
2: Just a quick one on this obviously is something that you can probably talk about for absolutely weeks, Dave, but try and summarize it in a fairly short manner. I've been to chaos shows where you've done a rumble. Yep. How difficult
3: <laughs> is it to book a rumble? Oh, it's a nightmare. It really is. And I'm sure that what these guys put into it in the WWE is a hell of a lot more than we did. Um, I, I went like with a big A1 sheet of uh, white paper and we, we would have a meeting for at least three hours working wow. it all out. And it, it ended up we whiteboarded it in the end because it was just easy because we just ran out of paper. But the <laughs> we've done three rumbles and... You know, I've done rumbles for other companies before, and it's really simple. It's literally just go in there until someone tells you to go out and out you go. But because we were so storyline driven, we tried to make sure we paced everything so people came in at the right time so they could eliminate someone so it could then lead into something else. And and that's where it can get really tricky because you're you're trying to work it out, but also trying to work out you're not wasting Certain talent, because ultimately you don't want to pay someone their wage to come in and work for two minutes. You want to, try to get your money's worth out of the talent, and that's why I think the women's World uh, Rumble to bring it back was actually <laughs> brilliantly because any of the um, sort of the in and outs, the people that didn't last very long, weren't part of the core roster. They were the sort of people coming in doing the one shots, which was brilliant because it protects your core roster. It makes them look stronger whilst at the same time you're still building those moments around it. So you know to to bring it back, Rumble booking rumbles are very complicated um so yeah it take especially when there's three of us as well trying to book it all um, i heard was it shame at man that produced this rumble i think is what oh, i was yeah. reading, reading earlier oh, and exactly. yeah i don't envy him trying to do all that with, with everyone there and no matter what you do people aren't going to be happy so um booking rumbles generally speaking it's it's planning honestly that's all it is you you're you taking your cool story guys what is it you need to do with these guys? Where is it you want to go from it? And working out your entry and exit points for everyone. That's really what it is. And then and communicating lots to everyone because <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> wrestlers have short memories at the best of times. And after all of that hard work that you did, my main
2: highlight of the first Rumble that I saw was the Pineapple peat dance. Sorry,
3: mate. <laughs> that's fine. The pineapple peat dance was amazing. Like, I live. Look, I live for moments. I'm not. I'm a guy that my approach to wrestling is like. I just wanted everybody, everybody to be over and everybody watching to have a good time. So that's fine. If you got just as much enjoyment from a 45 minute spot fest as you do watching um, <laughs> watching Sugar <laughs> Sugar Duncan dance, it's absolutely fine by me.
0: Shout out Sugar Day, man! My good. All right. Well, I think Ross has given us a pretty good lead in there to our roundtable for this week. I mean, we've got a proper, real-life wrestling promoter here with us, and we just—we just really want some insights into the industry, boys, don't we? And especially BritRest. So I think we should really get stuck into uh, our main event of the evening, and the wrestling should be fun. Roundtable, what do you reckon? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of. the the evening this week's round table focuses on Brit wrestling the finances behind it and it's narrated by the main man Dave mercy this is the wrestling Jimmy bar round table have you ever ever felt like this how strange things happen are you going So, Dave, you are our very special guest, and I know that you are going to set our topic for our roundtable this week. So, mate, what do you want to chat about?
3: What I was thinking about chatting about is the cost of BritRest, or the cost of how much it costs for 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 fans, but also the, the industry as a whole, because I was seeing this pre-pandemic, obviously, before it sold out. But the amount that your average paying customer expects to pay for a ticket versus what it is that you guys think you get out of different shows that you're willing to in, like pay for and, and how much maybe you guys think is is the right amount and how much you think it, that should be for for other companies. And then maybe talk to you guys more about the ins and outs behind, just not about how much venues cost and rings cost and, and things like that. But I'm happy to go deep dive into sort of everything in terms of how things work for us at Chaos, but how things work generally in, in the industry in terms of ultimately, what I'm getting at here is that there isn't a heck of a lot of money in promoting in British wrestling. There's probably only a handful of promoters that that can make a full-time living out of it, but there's hundreds of promotions. And it's really talking about where we, where you guys think, where or how that model works for you guys and comparing against other things, say like maybe football or cinemas and things along those lines. So that's a really long winded way for me to say money in wrestling.
2: (laughs) How about doing a bit of a litmus test first? Dom, what do you think about what you would pay for a progress ticket, for example, and what you would pay for if you went to one of those like hustle shows?
0: Yeah, so I, what would I really be willing to pay? So I guess I can only really talk about my own experiences and what I have paid in the past. I, I actually bought my progress ticket for this month today because uh, it's recently been payday and it cost me £22 for a standing ticket. To use another mixed metaphor, uh, pulling back the, the fourth curtain. I, I am not very good with money and it does, as long as I've got the money in my account, I'll pay it. But I've, you know, historically I've never had the money to even like entertain the ideas of going and booking a front row ticket to a pay-per-view or even to a, you know, a roar in the O2 or something, you know, like I've just never been in a situation where even if I wanted to, would I be able to go and pay 300 quid for a wrestling show? But that's okay because I'm a drinker and I like to stand at the bar. Like, even if I went to Raw, I would still just be choking down those eight pound Heineken's up the back.
3: But you know what I did? Went to the liquor store. I loaded up
0: with alcohol, more specifically, vodka, whiskey, beer, tequila, more beer, more vodka, more whiskey, and more beer. Because I wasn't just going to sit around for a couple of hours in Jonesboro. I was going to drink all night long. So where do I stand? So depending on the style of show, I mean, 22 pounds for progress, I see as an absolute bargain because I get to hang out with my, you know, either five or 10 or 20 best mates in the UK. um, And I get to see the thing that I love the most. And one of the reasons that I still live in this country But then if I turned around and a wrestling company I'd never heard of before, that if they tried to charge me too much more than that, I would compare it to Progress, right? I'd be like, well, I pay 22 quid for the most established independent wrestling company at one point in the world. You know, that could be a hyperbole from me, but we can get Dave's opinion on that. But for me, that's about the level. So like I said, I can only go on what I have paid, but that's kind of where I would sit or literally stand. (laughs) How about you, Matt?
1: I kind of would echo Dom to some extent. I'm more about the experience than necessarily even who's on the card sometimes. Like, I know maybe a lot of people, and some of my friends are the same, like, they would go, well, who's wrestling on that card? Is it worth it? Financially, you know, they might pick and choose a bit more depending on who's booked. But if I know, like, people are going and I can afford it, then I will pay, like, £22 for a progress show. And, like, my local show, like, it's just mostly, you know, a couple of dudes from Borum Wood, and then they'll bring in a Warren Banks or something. And, like, I'd pay up to 15 quid for that. I think I paid 12 quid for the last show. But like, I'd go up to 15 quid, maybe even a little bit more if they had a couple of names on the show. So I, I like to go to the shows and buy some merch if I can, if there's anything that catches my eye. So it is, like, a day out. Like, I have to sort of put a bit of money aside from my wrestling experience, especially the drinking as well. I'm happy to pay a little bit more than maybe the average fan would if,
2: if I'm getting an experience with friends. For, yeah. um, like, comparison, Matt, how much is your ticket when you go to, like, Loftus Road?
1: Yeah so I would pay 24 I think the last time I went Loftus Road so it's a couple of quid more than progress.
2: Yeah and you're getting what would you say maybe an hour's more entertainment? Yeah no yeah completely yeah totally and for me if I'd have answered this question three years ago I think I'd have had the exact same as like you guys but post the like speaking out stuff and like the big stuff that came out of it for me when I was listening to a podcast, which the guy from, oh, I forgot the name of the promotion. Now, what, what was the promotion that was quite big in Brighton? Riptide. Yes. And he was saying how a big thing about what happened with the WWE sweeping into the UK was that it kind of forced independence to look at getting an ambulance and things like that and all this sort of stuff and about actually paying wrestlers a fair amount. And until I really listened to that, point of view from a promoter I didn't really take that into account and I think if I'm paying anywhere less than 20 pounds for a small venue am I going to an actual safe show in terms of is it safe for those wrestlers to be on a show that doesn't have an ambulance or that sort of stuff are they being paid right so I'm kind of in the mindset now of I would pay I'm happy to pay higher but it just means that I'll go to less shows like for example two three years ago when we were mad into because it was an absolute boom and we were having lots more promotions in London we were going to like midweek shows at the dome and stuff if that starts happening again I'm not sure that I can really stretch to that and I'm gonna have to go to less shows but I'm kind of happy to in my head knowing that that the wrestlers are hopefully being looked after better if that makes sense
3: you're on the right sort of wavelength with where I was going with this question because you're absolutely right in terms of when I think of it from chaos, we had to increase our running costs over the course of of, of the promotion um, where, yes, we did bring in paramedics. And, you know, I'm almost ashamed that we didn't beforehand, but the culture of British wrestling needed to change. And as soon as we started to see other people do that, we were like, yes, makes perfect sense to do that. The interesting thing, especially when it comes to wrestlers paying wages in terms of the way that the market works is interesting because... It's it's that case for high ties rises all ships, where what we found is that the cause the industry increased and therefore the wrestlers generally were getting getting about more, being in more demand, rightfully increasing their wages. What we tended to see is that the and and I say this as somebody who used to be a wrestler, and I, I was totally on the I'm almost like a wrestling socialist with this. I was very, I was more than okay with people getting their fair share. But the difference we were seeing because we weren't, we were outside of that London bubble, is that the kind of prices you're talking in terms of what we could do in the Southwest were completely different. So we're still paying the wrestlers the same as say they'd be making a London show. But if I charged, um, say, going back five years, fifteen pounds for a ticket, there's no chance anyone will come to my show because of the market that I was in. So we're in this catch twenty two where. I can genuinely say as a promoter, if you worked for me for a year, you probably made more money than I did because, and and that's not me being upset or fickle about the fact that, you know, me as a promoter, I was happy to share that out. And, and we, we did it as a passion project more than anything else. But this is where, and I don't know the finances of every other company, but I would be stunned if there's, like I said earlier, more than a handful of companies out there that are making enough profit that they can become their either their full-time income or enough to make sure that they can live on. When I think you've got hundreds of companies that are all trying to, in the same way that you've got all these championship teams that are trying to chase the Premier League, which yeah. is exactly what we were trying to do as chaos. We were trying to chase that. Or oh, could we become that next big thing? Could we become like an ICW, like a progress? Could we get to the point where like you almost become like that magnet promotion where people come and chase you? And there was us and so many other companies trying to do the same thing that I just, I'm just worried that as loads of companies come back, it's going to happen again and it's not sustainable unless ticket prices start to increase. And then it's that catch-22 of there'll be another company that's happy to charge less, like you said, Ross, that maybe will cut some corners. And your average fan's not going to know that. And I don't have the
0: answers here. So this is just yeah. more... And do you think, do you think that because um, you promoted... Uh, like family friendly shows dave or shows that everyone could enjoy i think you called it uh on your we always say
3: we're not family unfriendly so no swearing no blood apart from one night when Ginny got way too excited on the microphone and we had to cut it
0: (laughs) oh wow (laughs) yeah Uh, she said two of the really bad words I wonder if also like you spoke about ticket prices. And I was just like, you know, thinking there and drawing the dots. are and like my mind went to this guy that I work with, who's not a wrestling fan at all, but he's he's got two young kids. And he's a salt to the earth sort of guy. Um, and he because his kids have just suddenly got into a little bit of wrestling, he decided to take him to some live wrestling. He doesn't know the difference between like a progress and you know, the traveling family show that comes to London, you know, once every couple of months and their tickets are only 5 quid each but because you know he hasn't got a trained eye so he also if I said to him oh yeah bring the kids down to uh progress at 22 quid a ticket cuz he doesn't care the difference between you know TK Cooper and blunt mcgee he he'd scoff at me he'd say 22 quid for that and now i can get the exact same thing for 5 quid down the road at you know uh london family wrestling or whatever so i'm sure that must be a factor too dave right the people who are just bringing their kids and don't really have an appreciation of the product.
3: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I always said that, you know, because we're outside of that London market and and you're competing, ultimately competing against rival promotions. And I tell you, ri- rival's the wrong word, so other promotions in the area. And everyone's there trying to get, there's only a finite amount of money around that local area for those families that will come to you. And we at Chaos were probably at the higher end of that in the market that we were in. But we always knew that, we made that decision because we wanted to make sure that everyone who worked for us got paid and was looked after. I'm not saying that any other promotion didn't, but we would pay people that were injured to come and do other things. We'd always make sure we tried to look after people. And, you know, sometimes on some of our shows, there could easily be, say, 20 people involved compared to, say, a five match card with a tag somewhere down the road. The rest of themselves are still very talented, but you're absolutely right in terms of it's going to be potentially a different experience for that show compared to our show, depending on what that person wants out of it. And it is difficult, especially when you've got a lower catchment area on how to balance that out. And again, it just goes back to what is the right price of wrestling and how does, and and you raise a good point there, Dom, in terms of if you are a customer, how, how would anyone know what a good or excellent wrestling show would be? And I don't know. And this is the thing that I've always, always um, pondered when I was promoting.
0: Yeah. I, you know it's something that I just will latch on there quickly. I, I know you quickly corrected yourself about rival promotions, but did you kind of form many arrangements with the other promotions around you? Did you ever work together to bring in talent you know by splitting the playing fair or were you ever able to do any of that like some of the London promotions kept?
3: Oh yeah, so I'll start local, then I'll go a bit further afield. So locally yes, there were so you know we, we were really friendly with say the guys at attack mostly because we mixed rosters as well. And we'd been friendly with them before either of us became promoters. So, yeah, we were always on good terms with them. Um, There were some other promoters, and this is meant to be Wrestling is Fun podcast. I'm not going to go into all the nitty gritty, but there were some where we were honest and would share all of our dates at the start of the year and say, look, here's all our dates. We're letting you know now so we don't clash. And then they opted to then clash with us, which wasn't ideal. But, you know, we just said, fine, that's your choice. Off we go. And we always try to be really upfront to say, look, we have set our stall out at the start of the year. These are our venues. These are our dates. Just trying to make it clear to everyone else around the area. In terms of getting in talent and international talent, which did get a lot harder towards the the end of our run, um, as I think the indie scene generally dried up, although I think we're about to get a a huge boom on that now. as um, There's been so many people released in the markets, seems to be flooded again, which is only good for indie wrestling. But I had really good relationships with a lot of promoters that were a bit further afield, such as um, Southside. Um, I would work with those guys a lot to bring in talent. Um, same for Kamikaze. And also I've done shares with, um, with Progress before. So effectively, anyone I would say who's at least like an hour away, I'd have no issue doing talent shares with. And I say issues in terms of I didn't see the value. If I'm going to bring over an international talent and you can see them twice, two days running within an hour of me, that's splitting my market. So I always just try to make sure that when I did that, they were at least within a commutable bubble for me. So anybody that I thought could travel would travel. And then they can see that same talent on the Friday or Saturday if they were willing to travel a couple of hours in a different direction rather than 10 minutes down the road.
0: Yeah, that's I'm sure that's like a major, major insight for our listeners and it's funny cuz like this topic is an interesting one cuz like you know after a few beers and uh, definitely never publicly before but we as wrestling should be fine I said what would it take for us to run a show you know <laughs> here in London and like just we just talk about it and like normally it gets to the point we've got we've got our own resident accountant uh, in Matt Brummett who is on a lot of the episodes and like you know he we always say well we'd probably just do it as a loss right and we just probably give away tickets to our pals but um it's such an interesting insight i'm sure so many people that listen to this and there are millions dear listeners um that are that are hearing this and getting like such a great insight into like the the business side of in quotation marks the business
3: i mean first of all i mean any i'd never tell anyone not to start promotion but the one thing i would always say is get involved in wrestling first in terms of any aspect so whether you you join a school, even if you have no interest in actually wrestling, but if you join a school that runs shows, you can at least help get involved in the promotion of wrestling. So, you no, know, I w- I was involved. I've been involved in wrestling since nineteen ninety nine. We started Chaos. I'm going to probably get this wrong now because I've been hitting the head so many times. But eight years ago, and in between that time, I helped I helped lots of promoters promote wrestling shows. So I thought I had seen everything so i knew exactly what to do and i didn't i made shed loads of mistakes when we first started chaos um i still made loads of mistakes as we went along but i'd say that's the same for for any industry in terms of promoting wrestling is is, it's like me thinking i could go promote a band tomorrow because i've been a promoter i couldn't i'd have to understand the of the music industry before i start promoting so i'd say that as a starting point get to know whatever it is you're you're working in in and as part of that industry but in terms of the financials for it, there's a lot of things that people don't consider or potentially will cut corners with, which I absolutely would suggest you don't. So we we touched earlier on paramedics. Most companies, when you're starting, don't have your own, don't have a ring. We never had a ring. We did that by choice, but there are some good wrestling rings out there, and then there are some cheap wrestling rings out there. We always went for the good ones because you don't want a cheap one, because you need to make sure you look after your wrestlers. Obviously, wrestlers cost money. And when i first started wrestling i'd be lucky if i made 20 quid a night i can tell you now that that's not the going rate for a for a half decent wrestler nor should it be and it should be higher than they get right now but then when you start to add up all of that and i'm not going to tell you you know individual wages but people are getting paid now a lot better than they were if you look at a card and you can work out roughly if you've got x number of people plus a couple of refs plus plus an mc if you've got lighting technicians you have to pay for them Um, Front of house, um, potentially covering that off as well. You're taking all of that into account. We also run our own merchandise. So you have to bring those costs and overheads into it. Plus insurances and events licenses. Public liability insurance is a big one um, that that people don't think about. And I've said all of that before you start to think about your promoting costs. (laughs) So I'm happy to say, look, I am not the world's greatest promoter. I have lost money on several shows. And I'm talking, there's you know, not not insignificant amount of money, depending on some of the gambles that we've taken. There's some venues that we've purposely run to make uh, that made a loss because we knew we'd make back in other areas, whether that be through the on-demand or whether that be through um, the, the venues that we run where we could run our own bars, for example. But you had to take calculated risks to do that, to make sure that you can still maintain that audience. Because our key mantra was all about trying to give people a reason to come back. That's the thing that we tried to do. But our overheads were high because of that because we felt so passionately about what we, it is we were doing so we probably booked more people than we needed to but we felt it made the product
0: better there's a lot that goes on with that being said like i mean you you should absolutely be proud even though you know you might not have made your millions from it i'm not sure you know what you do outside. oh yeah i'm a
3: millionaire now i just retired yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, podcasts. yeah i just just wait for people to invite me on podcast. that's all i do yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you're welcome here every week mate
0: um <laughs> and, Just Uh for
2: me, Dave, from like a personal standpoint, I probably reckon I probably went to five chaos shows. But my brother, who has two young kids himself, it was an absolute godsend for him. Like he would have loved to have been going to the progress shows like we all were on a monthly basis, but he just couldn't because he's got kids and he's in Bristol. Uh, So to have chaos, he was absolutely buzzing every single time. And he'd finish each show and he'd call me and he'd run down the matches and tell me how great it was. And the kids would have such a good time that he'd do those meet and greets for like pretty cheap with some pretty mega stars now so yeah, yeah you've definitely left a great highlight for people in the in the South and i think i can speak for a lot of people even though i, I can only say for my brother it,
0: it's definitely missed well, well, I was, sorry, Dave, I was actually just going to say the same thing where like the reason I kind of said that about maybe you haven't made your millions, but you've also told good stories and like, you can always look back on that and say, well, you know, we might not have made our fortune, but this is what we've done. And like Ross said, you've had a positive impact on people's life in the area. So you, you definitely have lots to be proud of, mate. Oh
3: oh yeah. No, I, and you know, I know I'm being a bit facetious, but, but no, I am super proud of everything. But I, I ran this with two of my best mates, you know, I love Nick and Rob. Um, you know, we still hang out all the time and, the only difference now is that we're not arguing over, you know, who should go over in that match. Um, but mm-hmm. The thing that we always wanted to make sure is we were putting on a promotion that we would want to watch, but also that wouldn't offend kids because two of us were dads. And we always thought of it like wrestling on a Pixar level in terms of you can appreciate Pixar if you're um, an adult, but you can appreciate it on a ch- child's level. And that's that's exactly the kind of focus. It wasn't cool to say you're looking sort of wrestling for dads, but that's really what, what what it is we wanted to do. So Ross, it's it's really nice to hear that about your about your brother.
2: Yeah, it is. I'll um I'll definitely make sure that he listens into this podcast because he's a big fan. Um, just one last thing on the roundtable here. We were having a talk kind of in our group earlier this week about British wrestling, and I was talking about the fact that um, just this past week there was an absolute bombstorming match between Dragonov and Devlin, and there was absolutely Zero traction online. We did our bit online to try and just say, like, seek out this match. It was a great match. But we always find that if we do NXT UK stuff, it doesn't get great traction online for whatever reason. It hasn't really worked in terms of highlighting British wrestling, which is a shame because when the first tournament happened, it felt like it was about to really take off. And obviously, COVID has played a part in that. But do you think that there'll ever be a British kind of promotion that becomes something. And I feel like they're really missing a trick with um, and I guess it's because of what it has become and it's seen as, you know, not cool. But like Jim Smallman was a massive part of why progress got big and his socials were all about progress. And he had the podcast. And for whatever reason, he's offline now, really, and not really seen visually on the screen either at NX UK. And to me, I feel like they're missing a real touch there because you've got someone like Tony Khan at AEW who's a a promoter and his socials are mad AEW driven to the point where if I was a Fulham fan or a Jaguars fan, I'd be like, are you doing any work (laughs) with these other franchises? But yeah, sorry, that's a bit long winded. But but like firstly, do you think that they're missing a trick a little bit or do you think it's just something that just never will happen with the UK?
3: And I've, I've had discussions before about this, and I, and, I, and I kind of feel like when NXT UK started, to me, they missed a trip by making it look and feel different. I would have loved it to been to look more like a progress show or look more like an IT make it look and feel more authentic, like it's a UK show. To me, it looks like they've taken some of our best talent and put it into another version of what the NXT full sale studio looks like. In terms of the way that they set it up, so aesthetically, to me, it looks the same. And I think the the thing that, that I think one of the things that I've struggled with is first of all that they, with the way that their talent is set up, they've almost got too much talent. And some of the and I don't want to be too negative about it, but I almost feel like because they made decisions on having Pete and Walter on top for so long, there hasn't been enough other talent that's been elevated at the same time. So by doing that, you're limiting the number of stars that have been built through that product. And that's not to say that those guys aren't still stars. I mean, I'm still great friends with a lot of them. Um, so I feel like I'm doing you know, people I know a disservice. And I don't think it's necessarily their fault. It's just the nature of the way that the WWE machine works. Um, and I think that to your, to your question of could any promotion get to that level, I genuinely think if, if ironically, if progress didn't get bought out or didn't have that relationship with WWE, it would have been progress. Clearly they were able to sell out or get four and a half thousand, sorry, in, in Wembley, which was a huge achievement. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting time right now if you're going to be ask, asking, can another company do it? Because I think another company could do it. I think progress in theory is already, you know, they sold out the first show. They've got the ability to do that. There's there's. There was a real worry that after the everyone got signed up, that there wasn't enough talent remaining. But I think that's been proven not to be the case. It's just that there was a lot of talent that people didn't know of. And I'm going to be very selfish, and I'll pick on Nick Riley and Charlie Sterling because I love those two. And I couldn't be happier that more people outside of the Southwest are getting to see them now. But that's just an example of the kind of talent that's out there. Everyone just needs opportunity. That the, the talent pool in this country is still really deep. It's just people need that platform to be able to to see them. And it could just be a case where, honestly, right now, the next company that could do that and get to that level either doesn't exist yet or is only just starting or needs something to get them going. Because progress was lightning in a bottle. They had the right situation at the right time. They had the right brains behind it. They had people in new promotion. They were based in a really good location. And they had a talent pool which wasn't too dissimilar to where it is now. If you think back about 10 years ago, there was hardly anybody that you would say is a household name um, in terms of sort of from an indie wrestling perspective. Anyone you speak about wrestling in the UK level, you wouldn't know outside of, say, maybe a Doug Williams. Yeah, because he'd already been out and over. It's different now. I think, you know, if you have a conversation with any res- any wrestling fan on indie, le- indie level, they'd be able to re- reel off 20, 30 wrestlers they like and somebody else would be able to reel off another 20, 30. There's enough talent here to make it happen. So I absolutely believe it can happen. And I mentioned earlier that I do think there's going to be a bit of an indie uh, revival now because all these guys getting released, they can't all get signed up for companies. There will be other indie companies. GCW in the States is already doing that. We've seen that already. If the talent's there, they'll find work. So I'm saying that, yes, I believe there will be another company that can rise up independently and, and be able to become that next mainstay in the British scene. I just don't know who it is. But I'm interested to find out.
2: Yeah, I, lo- I love to hear that positivity. Do you think NXT UK will get back to kind of wo- where it was with the kind of sellout shows that it was
3: having? Or do you think they're going to struggle at this point? It's really interesting. I'd imagine they would do initially. They'll do well. I'm sure they will. Um, because people are going to be clamoring to... To see it and i don't know what their model's going to be I, I genuinely don't you know i you would assume a safer bet is running things at the bt center that they're in and having fans come in there and almost treat that like a full sale that could be a, a safer way to do it based on its location large catchment area easy to do but as a touring brand they were doing well before before it stopped i think the um the difficulty that the nxt had uh, UK and um, um, beyond all the other stuff was the fact that they had to have that hard stop for a bit. Yeah, when none of the other brands did. Yeah, let's let's be honest. It's not going to be the priority of WWE. You know, it's it's one of many brands that they've got, but realistically, their focus is going to be on SmackDown, Raw, and pay per views, so and you understand why. I think there's definitely the potential to. They absolutely have the talent to do it, and they're still. It's going to be interesting because there's not going to be that another, there's not going to be, I'm I'm going to say the phrase, but I don't mean it in the way I mean it, but the raid in terms of there's not going to be another time when 20 people all get signed at once. You're going to get maybe one or two and that might change it. So say somebody like, and I'm just throwing a name out there. Say like somebody like Karen Wa gets signed. If you're a progress fan or if you're an indie wrestling fan, you're going to be interested to see what they do with that one guy. And that then might make you check out, NXT for that one or two episodes which then might hook you in that's the next thing that they need to do the other thing that I think has been amiss and I think travel restrictions don't help is that you have still got a huge roster over in the states that can come over this way and I think when those restrictions are gone they were doing it with Cassius Ono back in the day then in terms of helping that that draw and using those guys to help elevate those U- that UK talent they've definitely got the potential to do it you know, it's not going to be difficult if you like they did with Cesaro when they brought him over for some pay-per-views. If you bring over that caliber of talent and can show that, that your roster can be elevated up to that level, it's only going to help the star power you've got within that roster. But that's going to take time. And, and it's very difficult during the COVID times when you've still got, and I don't know how easy it is to travel to the States and get back. But I think until it's a lot easier to do that, we're probably not going to see that straight away but the potential's definitely there. Yeah, definitely. I'm always seen as the NXT UK guy in this
2: group of ours. And largely, it, like, it isn't because it's WWE. It isn't because it's the biggest thing in the UK. It's based around the fact that all of those guys, I like I see a, a huge amount of those guys as my guys because those were the guys that I watched grow as wrestlers to get signed. And I'm so willing that roster to succeed that I'm always trying to talk to the guys about there's this match, there's that match, and using the Twitter feed to to tie that back to a higher
3: audience. I I totally get it. Genuinely, some of my best friends were there. I'm sure anybody that that knows me personally knows that me and Flesh Morgan Webster are really good friends, and I'm so thrilled. I I remember he he was one of the first guys. um, I was one of his first phone calls when he signed um, because we worked together so closely during the chaos times, and seeing his rise working at chaos and 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 other companies and him being able to then climb up and then get to that sort of level where he's been over in the states and on the normal nxt show as well right that i couldn't be happy for him i really couldn't but you know if if i start listing off all the people i'm like i've lost count of the amount of people that i've worked with at chaos that have now made it there and signed there you know and and it's it's genuinely wonderful to see and i'm I only want the best for them. I really do. and I, like I said, I, it's, it's got the potential to to, to grow. It definitely does.
0: Whilst we're, uh, whilst we're just talking about that and people that have uh, come through chaos or been involved with chaos that have now uh, got onto the telly, mate, I think it would be a shame to have you here without giving you the chance to tell us about just even one of the favourite things you, you achieved there in chaos or a favourite storyline that you told, something that if people aren't familiar, that some, someone will be able to go and uh, seek out what would you hang your hat on and go, yeah, that's, that's something that we did. That's a story we told go and check that one out.
3: Mm, Okay. Yeah. So I think the thing that I'm probably, I mean, at the top of my head and I'm going to forget lots of other stuff, but I'd probably say the, the, the long-term plan we had for Nick Riley. So I'll be honest, when we first started using Nick Riley, he was part of the Magnums. uh, So he's part of a tag team. And I, I at the time only saw him I say only, but saw him as a, a comedy tag act and it was actually Nick, also known as Gideon, who, who's one of the promoters with Chaos, who said, no, he's really good as a singles. You won't believe me, but like, honestly, he's he's mint as a singles. And I'd be like, OK, fine. So we did a storyline when when we broke up the Magnums at Chaos. And to be fair, he put on a really good match when they broke up. And then, then we started thinking, OK, there's, there's something here. What can, What can we do with this? What can we do with this? And what we did with him was we made him lose for a year, but against exceptional top tier talent. So we brought in loads of imports. So he'd lose to the likes to say, Pete Dunn as an example. And what would happen is every time he would lose to somebody, he would almost level up. So it got to the point where by the end of the year, he was actually voted our Wrestler of the Year, even though he hadn't run a, won a match. And it wasn't done in a sort of Spike Dudley underdog way. It was done very much in the case of every single time he lost, he looked better coming out because of that. The thing I really loved about the booking with that is that and that's not to say wins and losses don't matter. But what happened is people started investing in him as a character. They could see that he was getting better and better and better each time he was going out there. So what we um, he ended up uh, winning, ironically, one of our Rumbles. Ross, I don't know if that was the one that you were at. Um, oh, I can yeah. remember. Yeah. Oh, that, that was lucky. Okay, good. <laughs> so, Ross, uh, so, so uh, Nicky hadn't won a match for that year. He won the Rumble. And there and then that night, champion Big Grizz at the time basically said, right, I want to have that match right now. We completely stole Paul Heyman booking when Taz won the ECW Championship. So we did a match there and then. He pinned him in less than two minutes and the place went absolutely bananas because they had invested that much time over the the year of wanting wanting to see him win, wanting to see him win, wanting to see him win, wanting to see this guy succeed. Not because he was an underdog, but because they recognized that he was as good as the guys he was wrestling. He just couldn't quite make it. And we were trying to give him not necessarily an everyman character, but enough that Nicky's really one of those guys who's got like a, an intangible charisma about him. It's one of those things where unless you hang out with him or if you see him, it's difficult to explain. But he has a connection with the audience that you can't, you can't fake. And what we were able to do in that night, like it was genuinely one of the biggest reactions we've ever had when he won the Rumble, which was huge, but then giving the fans that title change straight away after and knowing a year ago that that's where we were going to go with this. And especially how we then book that rumble with all the intricacies with it. Because we always book with arcs. We always say, right, this guy's starting here. Where's he gonna finish? And then we work out how he gets there. And that's what we did with Nikki. And that's one of the times where from a you almost feel like you're a director of a movie when you're watching it backstage because you're seeing everything you hope play out, but in front of a live audience, and the reaction is your payoff. That's like that's my high spot. That's like listening to the fans' reaction to something that that you've booked that you think will work. And That example of what we did with Nicky in terms of becoming our champion, but knowing that would happen a year ago, but by making him lose all the time was a gamble, but one that really worked. So that's one of the stories that I probably go with off the top of my head.
0: That's absolutely amazing, and you just telling that story now, we can see so much passion and and like you've painted the picture in our minds. Every wrestling fan can understand that story arc. That's that's amazing. I'll say uh, personally, we had Nick Riley on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, Ross, you know what episode that was, so I can plug it. It's episode number thirty-eight. And I mean, he to use a term from Twilight. I don't know why this is coming to my head, but he glamorous in the half. hour. <laughs> talk to him he um fuck i'm i'm lame anyway uh yeah and he he just he we got that charisma even over you know the way we record the podcast here um so yeah definitely go and go and check out that story arc um i'm sure you'll find it uh pro wrestling chaos nick riley and just, yeah, brilliant stuff.
3: I listen to that podcast. He didn't put me over once. So I've put him over loads today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great booker. I love the storyline arc. Uh, let's have Spike Chiribay for Super Strong Style, please. Progress. Okay.
2: Dom, just to wind up the round table, just a personal story from me. Dave, I was at your farewell show. Oh, God.
3: Um, oh, right. Well, you, me versus um, Flash. Where you um, crowned Danny Jones. Oh, that was actually the last, last show. Oh, yes. sorry, I'm with you, right? I think they like yes. my, my last match. Sorry, carry on. That <laughs> was a long time ago. Right? <laughs> carry on. <laughs> and
2: I have to admit, like, as I said, I only went to five shows or whatever, and I felt like a bit of a sham by being there because I could tell from being there that every <laughs> single person in that venue loved Chaos Wrestling. And it felt so, like, even though it's such a small venue and, it, and it's so intimate, you, like, it just felt so big. Every match, people... Yeah cared about it on the left hand side there was wrestlers that weren't even on the show but but like big time wrestlers like Shaw and people like that just getting so invested in the matches and I honestly think it's possibly one of my favorite ever live shows absolutely wow honestly honestly, absolutely loved it I've been to Progress I've been to Raw's I've been to Rev Pros but honestly there was something special about that show and it's credit to the, the three of you that you made that and also uh it was the last show, I think, that James Drake did previous to yep. him moving to America. Yeah, yep. And he you booked watch. him as a baby face. And I've never seen him <laughs> wrestle as a baby face. And he was excellent. So I can't wait for him to
3: finally turn. So interesting thing about that day. So first of all, we were all hung over. Um, Nicky, especially, by the way. Um, <laughs> I cannot stress like how that man put on a match is beyond me. But because we had a night, we had a match. So we did a double shot. So we did a show in our ledge centre, which is our big Big goodbye, and then we did a show in the place We did our first ever show, which was in Shireway Community Center, classic British wrestling uh, with a ceiling, which was too low, so you couldn't do anything off the top rope. And we booked the card, but we didn't announce the card apart from the main event, which was Danny Jones versus our champion, Mike Bird. Mike Bird, by the way, who is fantastic. should probably put that out, as is Danny Jones. We put together the rest of the card, and we just said, do what you want. We don't care who wins. So we didn't actually book that show. Amazing. <laughs> we, just, we just left them to it. And me, Nick and Rob just sat at the back of the hall, having some beers um, with Lynn, my wife, and Emma, Rob's wife, who always helps out at shows in front of the house, and just went back to being fans and just watched our mates and people that we know that we're going to go on to, to, to much bigger things, especially the likes of James Drake, and he's probably not going to like me saying this, but um, we couldn't afford to pay him that night because it's such a small venue, so we worked for free for us because he felt that strongly about it and we watched them our mates go out there and, and basically just just give us one of my favorite shows as well as we watched everything play out in front of us so yeah it was um it was really it was the best possible goodbye i think it's the only show as well that
2: the ring filled with fans that i've ever been to as well that was <laughs> quite
3: possibly i was in the middle of that huddle i kind of lost lost <laughs> lost what happened <laughs>
0: It's very big praise, Dave, because Ross traditionally doesn't like anything. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, absolutely outstanding stuff. And the way that you've painted those pictures in our minds uh, here, I'm sure you're gonna absolutely smash Book of Bingo. Let's get into it, eh? Oh, pressure's on now. <laughs> B-I-N-G-O and Bingo was his name, oh. Righty-o, dear listener, it is time for Booker Bingo, everyone's favourite part of the week. We've got a very, very special attraction, one-on-one. We have our very first ever Booker Bingo champion, the guy who's won it the most but also hasn't won shit for about six months. This is Big Gladdy Cool, Matt Connolly. He is facing off against our very, very special guest this week, an actual real-life wrestling promoter and booker. He's got to win this or his reputation is ruined forever. This is Dave Mercy. Let's go, fellas. Ross, who we got?
2: Okay, so we've got Rick Steiner versus Bubba Ray.
0: Oh, yes, please. Big fan of this. So we are, of course, going to let our guest go last. Thank uh, you. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, sorry. Sorry, Con man. So I can sort of try to pad this out a little bit for you to give you some thinking time. But whenever you're ready, mate, take it away. Rick Steiner versus Bubba Ray Dudley.
1: Yeah. Oh, what bad timing having Bubba Ray Dudley, eh?
0: Welcome to the Dog
1: Okay, uh, it's going to be simple booking because I'm going first and I'm also, as I say, on a bad run with this. But um, we're going to get WWE running a poll, the greatest tag teams of all time. And actually, these two tag teams, despite both being in WWE, they rank quite low on the list, which creates a bit of a, a discussion online about whether this was a really fair vote. And obviously, Bubba Ray's piping up, elsewhere because that seems to be his job now. And he's saying that he he thinks he was the best tag team of all time. And, and obviously, Rick's saying the same thing, thinking that he's the best tag team of all time. So they have to decide this by reuniting the old tag teams. But it's a vicious encounter. Uh, and both Scott and Devon are sadly injured in the match because it's so violent. So what we have to do is, down the line, we settle it with Rick Steiner and Bubba Ray Dudley. But because they can't decide who the best tag team champions are, they're not just going to fight for the WWF tag team titles they're going to throw in those ecw ones that were synonymous with the dudleys and the wcw slash was it nwa maybe when the steiners have won them for the first time anyway all the tag belts are going to be ascended above the ring in a mega ladder match but it is just going to be rick steiner and bubba and in the end rick steiner wins because let's be honest bubba's not a very nice person
0: absolutely outstanding this brought up memories for me. I'm pretty sure we had Dave on booked one week already, Ross, didn't we? So, uh, yeah. So this, this is yeah. Excellent stuff. Both given both the Dudleys a treatment here. Dave, that's going to be hard to
3: follow, mate. What do you Yes, got? it is? And I am struggling already. I'm just writing down words and none of them are making sense. <laughs> I can just imagine the piece of
0: paper you got there. It's got like 3d Frankensteiner, <laughs> lead pipe, Bron breaker.
3: I have written Bron Baker down. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> Bron Baker sounds like when we do the call up sheet like he's (laughs) (laughs) I love that
3: so let's try to do this in real time so we're not going to go in a time machine we're going to say Bubba Ray is on his podcast not saying the terrible things he's been saying recently but for a change talking about heat And he's going to be really pissed off with the fact that Rick Steiner came into the ring to celebrate with Braun after he won the NXT Championship. Because he thinks that completely ruins his gimmick as not being his legitimate son, even though he definitely is. So what we end up with is some probably ROH style scenario where Bubba Ray's out there. He's giving everyone loads and loads of heat. Yet suddenly Rick Steiner comes out and honestly this is going to be shit now because I'm just going to say they're going to have a match but let's make it because it's Rick Steiner we're going to do a dog collar match because that makes the most sense with Rick but we're going to have lots and lots of run-ins in this match so obviously Scott Steiner is going to come in He's going to start doing some sort of maths promo. We're going to get Devon coming out, but just because I love the gimmick, he's going to be coming out as Reverend Devon because that was by far his best and most stupid gimmick. We'll get Bubba Ray Dudley. In fact, the whole Dudley Army. Let's get the whole ECW. Dudley army out there so I'm trying to remember all the sign guide Dudley's going to come out it's going to turn into the biggest schmods that you've ever seen you know what let's go back in time we can bring out uh, Dances with Dudley everyone else comes out there and and after all of that because it's ring of honour it's going to end up with some sort of schoolboy roll-up after a five-star classic match that goes 45 minutes
0: absolutely fantastic So, sorry Sorry, guys
2: (laughs) so previous to dom saying who the winner is i'm gonna guess that that hit a lot of beats for dom because you mentioned dog collar match and ring of honor so he's gonna be all in.
0: <laughs> yeah I, I like you know we we all deep down love the steiners right
3: of oh, course like, yes yeah
0: yeah like every now and then like it's just amazing that you'll get a a clip on social media of like the steiners from 1984 and it's like oh fuck. Scott Steiner invented the double shooting star press. I never knew that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that um, Ross, you'll know the event. Is it 1990 or 1989 Starcade where they do the tag tournament? It's like,
2: yeah, it's four um, brilliant
1: SWAT, SMO and SWAT team Do uh, I think it's 90, yeah. That yeah. tournament is like fantastic. Those four teams are just great. I can't remember I reckon, the, the team now.
0: I think Eddie, Eddie Kingston talks about that all the time, doesn't he? I think, I think every every yeah. podcast I hear him talk on, he always talks about just Masawa and that. Yeah, it's a great... I just it's it's a great do period.
3: remember there was, I think there was one WCW tag tournament where it was like, are there a deadly draw, some sort of like random tag thing. And I just remember the South African team I've never heard of since. And Rick Steiner taking, like some guy ran over, tried to do a plancher over the top onto him and he just no-sold it, just bounced off him and just laughed at him. We actually posted that not too long ago. Ah, and fantastic. <laughs> and, and do you know who that was? No, who was it? That was Rocco
2: Rock of Public Enemy. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I no. thought they would
3: build a South African when they came out. I remember being shown a tape of that years ago. Amazing. Yeah, the, um, the final team in that tournament, it's, so it's the Steiners, Doom,
1: the, the New Wild Samoans, and the Road Warriors. It's like a ridiculous
0: four tag team. Oh. So, as far as Booker Bingo goes, we, and just partially because you mentioned Ring of Honor and Dog Collar matches, <laughs> um, partially because it gives me a chance to say uh, shout out and rest in peace to the great man Jimmy Rave, who had one of the great Dog Collar matches there in Ring of Honor, but also mostly because we always let our guest win, our winner Book of Booker Bingo this week, and hopefully we'll invite him back on the podcast again to defend his title, Dave Mercy. Well done, Dave. Bonkers. Thank I can't argue with that
1: Dave your your in for the feud was a lot better
2: (laughs) but can I just say that Conman is in line for a Dave Mercy booking here because we're booking him like Nick Riley in Chaos Wrestling right now he's on a (laughs) streak but he's going to come good
3: you're going to build the sympathy the fans will love you I promise
2: (laughs) I hope so I hope I'm ready
0: for that In all honesty, Dave, thanks so much for coming on. You've been even more generous uh, with your time than what we asked for. And, you know, we, we just appreciate every minute of it, mate. Uh, is there anything that uh, you would like to plug or mention to our listeners? Um,
3: if you enjoy seeing the ramblings of a middle-aged man complaining about Bristol City, follow me Dave No Mercy 64 on Twitter. I also sometimes occasionally post about wrestling. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm out of the business now. So I just try to enjoy it as a fan. And I think what you guys are doing compared to some of the more critical podcasts is really good to see. I'm, I'm actually, I was really happy to be asked to come on today. And I completely agree with you guys. Wrestling should be fun. It should be positive. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a joy being on it. So thank you.
0: Wow. Can't, can't do much better than that. Uh, so that sounds like a good place for me to wrap up the episode. Uh, as always, you know where to find us, at Twitter, WSBFUN, at Instagram, Wrestling Should Be Fun, or on the website for some really old blogs, wrestlingshouldbefun.com. As always, thank you very much to Ross, the Boss Casey. Thank you to Matt Connolly, Big Lady Cool. And thank you most of all to Dave Mercy. And mostly, I think I said mostly seven times there. Thank you very much to you, dear listener. So, See you next week. Drink lots of water. Look after your mates. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.